Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Engendered, the show that features stories that explore the systems, practices, and policies that enable gender-based violence and oppression and the solutions to end it. We use gender as a lens to understand power and oppression, teach feminism, and decolonize hearts and minds one story at a time. Engendered is sponsored by Can Do It, spelled K-A-N-D-U-I-T, and I'm your host, Terry Yuan. Welcome, Michael. Hello, Terry. How are you? Good. So this is our first conversation, our first reflection since the beginning of the new year. Yes. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And because we left off last year on episode 28, we weren't able to talk about the survivor stories from last year. So today we're going to be addressing very briefly six survivor stories. Uh, We're going to start with episode 30 with Anita Guerra, episode 31 with Caitlin, 32 with Lana, episode 35 with Maria, 36 with Ashley Bendixson, and 37 with Sarah. So let's start with Anita. Right. So Anita. So she is the uh, survivor from England who does not have custody of her children. And uh, as a reminder, she is currently living in England and her children are living with the father in the United States. Yeah, I don't actually, it's been a while since the episode, so I don't remember if she actually has legal custody or shared custody. Um, But I do remember that she certainly has uh, rights to be able to see her children. And she ended up staying in England because her husband took them back. Um, when she wanted to file a divorce. And and so the cost of going back to Arizona and going back and forth was a big reason for her to remain in England um, and also because she wanted to keep her children safe. So she, she was worried because there was intermittent contact with her kids that her ex-husband would retaliate against her through the children children, and then cut off all contact altogether. Right. Now, what struck me the most, um, because it sort of hits a personal note, is the fact that one of her children does not like to remain in contact with her. The other one does. But I, I know through a personal family member of an abuser who currently does not know the abuse. Well, it's a family member whose father has been an abuser and he doesn't know the details or the full extent of the abuse um, because it was really hidden from him. And the narrative that he understands is the one that he hears from the father who is the abuser. And because of the nature of of the abuse, the mother doesn't say anything and again, I, 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 if you only hear things through one side, it's going to be really difficult for you to understand the whole picture. And I think it's 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 terrible because this is something that shapes this family member's life, and it's it's actually ignorance that's that 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 that's that's hurting him without him knowing. Well, I'm guessing he's an adult now. Yes, he is an adult. In his twenties, thirties. Uh, thirty now. And his mother, who is the victim doesn't feel comfortable sharing what happened now at this point in her life? Because of the nature of what happened. Is she embarrassed or ashamed? I believe she's ashamed. I believe she's embarrassed. And she didn't get help for it, I'm guessing. She she does see a psychologist. Oh, okay, great. She does see a psychologist. And at the moment, the abuser is no longer in the picture. He is in another country 
and does not live with them. And so I guess for her, she feels safe and she feels that maybe she doesn't feel that she needs to bring anything up. Maybe she feels like everything is fine now. She doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. She doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. And part of it, it, it I mean, this is her choice. She she feels safe this way. I mean, there was a point where she thought that the abuser was going to come back and then she 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 panicked for a while, but it turned out he wasn't coming back. So Yeah, I mean that's an unfortunate, very common consequence when you are a parent who is a protective parent trying to keep yourself and your children safe from the abuser. And if the narrative that the abuser parent is giving is that you're the one that's doing something wrong by keeping him or her away, then it's not appropriate for you to validate that or not. Um, It's not your place necessarily. Um, It could be used against you also and retaliated against you through the courts if they think that you're using it to discredit the abuser parent or if they don't believe there's abuse. So there's a lot of risk there, but obviously the biggest risk is long term when it harms and disrupts the relationship from being able to develop in a natural way. Not only that, but I think that the individual, the the child of the abuser is now going to have a certain pattern that he learned from the abuser. He or she, because this seems to be a pattern that has happened not just with Anita. It's it's something that happened with the other survivors that we're going to talk about uh, coming up. But it's 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 scary to think that in the future he's going to have children himself and he may continue some of these patterns. Yeah. So um, our next episode, which brings us to our next episode, 31 with Caitlin, uh, that was a pseudonym that she used. And she talks about the dangers of shared parenting. And I want to bring up her episode in the context of the most recent one, episode 37 with Sarah Strong, because Sarah actually has full custody of her kids and Caitlin has shared legal custody. But a lot of the tactics, coercive tactics, um, are the same. And, and, And I've now found out from Caitlin that they've met each other and connected. Um, And just coincidentally, because they happen to be in the same state. Um, And so I think that's, that's great, because we need to be able to support one another through these kinds of experiences, especially when very few people can understand unless you've gone through it. And, and so I guess, what's common, I wanted to share between Caitlin, and Sarah's experience is that Caitlin's ex-husband was also in the military Mm -hmm. and the therapist um, that wrote the letter saying he was an amazing, loving, gentle person who didn't see through the abuse, obviously, worked with the soldier project. And the psychiatrist that wrote the favorable letter was also a VA psychiatrist. So there, you know, this is something that Sarah said in the most recent episode in her conversation with me about how she went to the Marines, she went to, you know, the different... I think his sergeant or the the person who supervised them, she she called and she explained that there was uh, there was abuse and how there, that, that she wanted, she was seeking help. Um, but then later on, it turns out that they said that they, she, she, while she did approach them, that she did not bring up the attack. Right. And, and it's unfortunate because there's a code of silence that we saw earlier with Rosara Torres' 
Thomas's episode, she was the one who was married to a police officer, and she ended up writing a book about her experience. And the Code of Silence protects people not just in the military, but also in law enforcement. And so when law enforcement came, Caitlin shared with me, her husband took out his VA ID, and that kind of diffused things from how the police responded. I'm sorry, V-A-I-D? Yeah, the Veterans Administration uh, ID. So to oh, show that he oh, was a, Veterans a, vet, ID. a vet. Yeah. And so... He was protected by that. I mean, it, it. you know, it's kind of like if you're a cop and you drive over the speed limit and you get stopped, if you let the person know that you're a cop too, I think there's going to be a different response. I know firsthand that, yes, that is true. Really? Yes. How do you know that? Uh, I, I have a friend... That is a police officer. And one day I was in his car and, okay, to be fair, he wasn't driving over the speed limit, um, but he did have, he he did break some infraction that a normal person wouldn't, wouldn't get away with. But uh, I remember the cop stopped him and he lowered the window. He turned on the lights and he showed him his ID and he goes, oh, where do you work? And he explained, oh, I work in such and such place. And he, he was like, oh, okay, that's fine. All right, have a nice day. And then we just went off. <laughs> and it was like, okay, that's, that's, I guess that's, and I was like, wait, well, aren't you afraid of, and he's like, oh, it's just, because he's just a normal guy. So he was basically protected by his shield. Yes. I mean, we see yes. this on the on TV and yeah, yeah. films as not, well. This it's not is like not it's, shocking. Yeah, it's not, it's not a secret. Yeah, it's not a secret. So, yeah, I mean, I think what's what's disturbing is that for those two episodes, Caitlin and Sarah, that there's this culture of protection, which leads to no accountability. Right. Now, do you think that this is this culture is true in every country? I I wouldn't know if it is firsthand. Right. But I hear that um, this culture specifically, I I, I, think, I forgot what show I was watching. Oh, uh Chemanoa explained that one day he was in his country and he honked at a police officer and then that was acceptable. But over here in the United States, that's something you wouldn't do. Right. So I don't know. He was I, in I'm, South Africa. He was in South Africa. Right. Now, I don't know the difference, the differences um, or if the United States is even worse than other countries or maybe the other, other countries have that same type of culture, but it's not as as, as like the United in the United States. We have this fear of the police officer. And maybe that fear is less in other in other countries. I know I know that it's true where I'm from, Colombia, where uh, it's more of a culture of like, well, you bribe your police, your the police, and then you can get away with X, Y, Z, but you have to pay them off. But I, I don't think the danger is the same. Well, but but that's still a culture of no accountability. I agree. It is. It is. But I, I would say, I guess in the United States, it's. No accountability, but it's different. It looks different. Right. And it especially is different for women who are reporting domestic violence or sexual assault. It's one of the contributing factors from all of the episodes, you know, that we've interviewed um, guests and, and experts on is it becomes a contributing factor to women not wanting to report because they don't trust that the response that they're going to get is going to be fair and balanced. They don't trust that they're not going to be victim blamed, that there's not going to be language that's going to somehow 
misdirect the responsibility to the victim and that the system isn't going to, you know, put them through the ringer if they have to testify or have a rape kit and all of that. For a long time, I, I believe that that's one of the reasons why women didn't report uh, or just sexual abuse or sexual assault or rape or any kind of these crimes aren't reported in the first place. Um, so the next one is Lana, episode 32. Lana is from Russia, and um, she had a relationship with uh, a, a man who she had a, had her daughter uh, become sexually abused by this uh, pedophile. And um, unfortunately, he didn't seem to, he seemed to have gotten away with it by um, leaving the country. And um, it, she, she's been struggling to find justice for her. Well, she, she, so just to be clear, she left the country, not him. He's still in right, New York. Right. Yeah. And so she left the country with her daughter, partly because she didn't feel like New York City, where she lived, was keeping her daughter safe and doing justice to the claims that her daughter had. Like when, when the Administration for Children's Services came to talk to her daughter, they didn't get a Russian translator. Her daughter speaks at the time was speaking exclusively in Russian, mainly in Russian. And similarly with the police, they didn't interrogate the daughter through an appropriate Russian translator. And so if you don't even have the actual facts, how can you actually investigate properly and do justice to the claims that this young girl was making, which were very disturbing? And so... Yeah, it's unfortunate because Lana's older son still lives in New York with her um, son's father. Um, He recently visited Lana in Russia, which was very good. Um, But it puts her in this situation where she had to leave the country to protect her daughter. But then she doesn't get to be with her son who's still in New York. Oh, wow. So this is something that happened after the interview? Um, Yeah, the son visited recently. The son visited recently in Russia. Okay. yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's good to hear that he's. How old is he now? Is he well? He's an adult. I'm no, no. I think oh. the son is like uh, he was. I think he's like eleven or something. Oh, oh. So somebody brought him. The, to, the father the brought father. him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yes. So child sexual abuse is um, something that happens very commonly, and it's it, it's. I I don't know how common. I'm sorry. Um, it is. I I don't have the statistics, but um, people do put attention to it, but a lot of people feel like it's not a subject that makes them comfortable. So then they, they try to avoid it. It's, it's, it's something in society. I think that um, we all understand that it's wrong, but I I believe it it should be, um, people should pay attention to it. Well, I I should, since you didn't have the statistics, I want to make sure you're aware and the listeners are aware that um, every 11 minutes, Child Protective Services substantiates or finds evidence for a claim of child sexual abuse. And one in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse or assault in the hands of an adult. This is information from RAIN, the nonprofit agency, but these statistics actually vary um, depending on... Which agency? Some, yeah, some, which agency and which report, but that's still very high, one in nine girls. Um and this is just child sexual abuse. Right, right. It, it, it's awful for the people, for, for the victims of uh, of sexual abuse. It, it affects them for the rest of their lives. 
Yeah, I mean, so just, I guess we could talk about now the claims there. So recently there have been some things in the news that um, have gotten, I think, a very mixed response. One of them is R. Kelly. There was a documentary, a six-hour documentary um, that was put out from Lifetime Mm -hmm. about this um, musician. And at least the people that I know who watch the documentary and who are advocates in the movement to end gender-based violence, they felt that the documentary was very fair and balanced and um, that it was a really good step in getting accountability for the the survivors, victims and survivors Mm -hmm. of this musician, because it's been decades since these accusations have been out in there, you know, in the the public, accessible, but ignored. Right. And so he was just, I think a few days ago, um, charged, arraigned. Arraigned. Yep. And put, um, I think it was a $1 million bail. I think he was, you know, he, he paid it and he's out now, but there were a lot of people when he was arrested and a lot of these arrests, I think were because of the allegations that came out from the uh, documentary, people were very upset that he was arrested. People who are his fans. Right. And and so what are your thoughts about that? It's scary to think that it's really common. Actually, I heard a story not too long ago um, where this person was saying, oh, yeah, I, I like um, Chris Brown. I really like and, and And the question was, well, do you like the music of Chris Brown or do you like Chris Brown? And she said, oh, no, I like Chris Brown. I think she's aware of his attack on Rihanna. And, and, and multiple and his, people and multiple. that he's dated, he's had domestic violence charges. Right. But she seems to be okay with that. Like, she says that it, it, it was a mistake and it's excusable. And, 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 and that's one of the things that really baffled me. Um, after a while, it's hard to defend an abuser, and she she quieted down after a while. She 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 didn't have anything to say, so she felt uncomfortable continuing in that conversation. I wasn't part of that conversation. I was just told this afterward. But it's scary to think that so many people will excuse the behavior of an abuser, and and I just don't understand necessarily why. Is it that they take a look at the abuser? Or, or maybe it's something that maybe they feel safe or acceptable. Maybe maybe something happened to them when they were younger and they want to feel okay with it. So then they feel, well, or they haven't confronted it. Or maybe they haven't confronted it. And they're like, well, if I just put it off and it's not and it's not a big deal, then I'm gonna be okay. But it's something that affects you for the rest of your life. It's 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 it's. I I don't I, I don't know what the logic is behind it, and the mind is too complex. I don't know all the details behind um, this person's response, but I I'm not surprised by that response because a lot of people do have that same response. Well, when we were working together, and I was teaching one of the after school classes to the high school equivalency students, mm-hmm. that was the time when Chris and Rihanna situation blew up in the news. Right. And I talked about that with the students. And there were a lot of girls who basically volunteered to say that, hey, you know, I would let Chris Brown beat me. And and unfortunately, it wasn't a setting where 
you know, it was a group situation and there wasn't any um, mental to- health services and you don't want to be challenging people's beliefs. But they were saying they, they, they wanted to be his girlfriend because of their his access to, of course, power and status, right? He's a famous, talented uh, musician and they are coming from a disenfranchised economically and socially childhood. And, and that gave them, in their opinion, something better. And they also blamed Rihanna. So I, I don't remember exactly what happened before, before um, Chris supposedly, um, you know, punched Rihanna, but there was some issue with the phone. I think Rihanna wanted to see the phone that he, he, his cell phone, because he allegedly was texting with some other girl and, um, and so she grabbed the phone or something. And so they found justification just, for exactly. They found like they found Rihanna because of that incident to be the provoker, so to speak. And part of it, I think, or most of it, I would say, is just the culture that we have uh, uh, about how being in power is good and, 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 and going against that is something that's bad. Like, for example, um, Terry Crews, who came out against um, his his uh, assault, he got a lot of people who said who were saying a lot of negative things about him in in the media because, I mean, this culture of of of, of being attacked or being raped is is something that's like unmasculine. Right. Yeah, if you're a man, if you're and if, if yeah, you're a man, and you're so like raped by another man, and you're raped by another man. So it's 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 sort of like if you have power. This is a good thing. So, like again, in this case, I'm assuming Chris Brown had power, and you have a person like um, the, like the opposite. It, it, it like that would be a bad thing. So, I I, I just think it's a, a culture of of um, of this toxic masculinity that creates this environment for girls to respond like that. Yeah, and for Terry Crews too, because you know he was so brave, um, and because he he was victimized. By another man, he's seen by men potentially as weak for not being able to withstand, you know, that or not withstand, but like fend off the the um, attack. And um, it's it's and one of the things that he said was, you know, this isn't about sexual uh, desire. It's about power. This man had power over him. And I, 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 I can't quote him exactly, but when he said when he. What when he was in the middle of the act, he he felt like he wasn't in control, and the man and and this this man had power over him. So um, I think that's something that power is something that people look up to, and and that's what society values at this moment. Well, I mean, but it doesn't have to be that way. I think there's a lot of indications that people are responding now with different with their opinions that they don't they're resisting that they don't like mm-hmm. the power being abused that they don't like being oppressed and part of um how that showed up is in our midterm elections in November last year right i think there were a lot of people who were abusing their power who were in elected office that were voted out of office and so uh, and i think you know i guess in terms of the me too movement it's gotten to a point where I think people are using the Me Too movement, 
who are against the Me Too movement, who are threatened by it. Um, they're using it as a way to create a narrative that we should be able to get along by acknowledging each other's humanity and almost like taking away the structural systems that reenact power and in, enable power to be abused. Right. So one example of this is this video that I saw online that a friend of mine shared with me. I'm not quite sure what, what they do, but it seems like a life coaching business uh, in, in Germany. Right. And they put together a video of women apologizing to men And effectively, the women were apologizing to men for their role in upholding patriarchy, but then not acknowledging, nothing in the video acknowledged men's role in creating patriarchy and putting in women in that position. See, and I so I saw this video too. Um, and they don't use language like patriarchy, even though it, it's so obvious that that's what it is. Um, They point out, and I hope you link the um, link it to this video. Um, it's terrifying to see how these women are feeling genuine remorse for the things that they do onto men, and it sounds like there wasn't. Th there's a reason why some of these things happen. It, it, there's survival mechanisms that women have to use in order to just just survive in this type of society and it's not addressing the perpetrators of it it's sad to see and i think uh you wrote a response to it which is pretty accurate thank you and what so what was your initial response when you saw the video when i first saw the video i had my stomach churn it was it it, it was it, it looked like these women were hostages and they were just 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 saying like saying reading off of a script like here, say say this and then just they're just apologizing. They're all said similar things and it's just it, it, it was really. Was there something in the video that they said that really struck a chord in you? Well, at the beginning when they said I've been hurt by men, I'm like, okay, there's nothing wrong here. And then then she then she says. And I've hurt men. I've hurt men. I've hurt men. I'm like, wait, oh, okay. Well, so it's kind of equivocally equivocating both. There's a false equivalence. There's a you're false saying. equivalence. Yes, yeah. There's a false equivalence, and it's not the same thing. You know, statistics show that men are the perpetrators of violence, and by far, it's not even like, oh, it's sixty percent, forty percent. I don't know what the exact statistics are, but I'm pretty sure it's more than eighty percent. Yeah. So the majority of violent crimes are committed by men, right? And the majority of violent crime victims are actually also men. But if you then take the subset of violent crimes that are domestic related, then the majority of those victims are women. Right. But in terms of violent crimes, you know, like theft or robbery, that's why the majority of victims overall is men. Right, right. So I see. But yes, and in, in the, the case of domestic abuse, yeah, it's so clear that women are the victim. And for making a victim apologize for what she did is very, what I classify as sinister. It's just... Yeah, so I what I wrote in the article um, that I posted, the blog post, was that it was the equivalent of, so you put women between a rock and a hard place 
And then you blame them for taking the rock and throwing it at you for trying to escape. Right. And the other thing that was a perfect analogy, a really good analogy, was the race, equivocating it to race. Like if um, a person, you wouldn't say a person who's oppressed, um, oh, I'm sorry for having the narrative, creating the narrative of being the dangerous black guy. You, you, you explained it in a... In a yeah, in a, or benefiting from the narrative that you created. Right, benefiting from the narrative that you created. That would be appalling, but this is appalling too. So this is... <laughs> I hope that uh, our audience sees um, how similar that, that is. To yeah, we, so I highly recommend listeners, please take a look at the video and read my post about it um, and send send any comments about the post or feel free to um, write the comments directly on the page um, and let me know what your thoughts are. Right. Okay. Um, So the next episode is episode 35 with Maria Santiago and she's our first um, survivor stories episode where we cover the impact of childhood domestic violence. So she talks about how that impacted her choices as a teen, as a young adult and throughout the rest of her adulthood and even through her parenting. Right. I remember that she started with saying, well, my father, he was a good provider, um, which is interesting because it, again, brings us that that perspective of, well, you know, the abuser is, yes, he did abuse, but he also is this and, and that. And, he, and, and it gives you an understanding of why many women or many or many people in general would defend an abuser for the things that they do. And it's it, it, it's something that we would have to look at in terms of justice. Like, what is it that they did? And is is there a way to to prevent that from happening again in in, in, in society? And it's I, I hope that people aren't using a person's qualities. Like, for example, there was a, a show that I saw. Oh, sorry. It was a documentary that showed this pedophile was very charming. And he was able to charm an entire family. Uh, and while, yes, he was very charming, he was also a pedophile and he abused a child in horrible, horrible manipulative ways. So it's it's very, it, the harm that they're doing is outweighed greatly by um, the positive things about them in many cases. I mean, yeah, that's what the whole R. Kelly documentary series, I think, really did a great job conveying is that when a predator grooms, they're not just grooming the individual victim, but they're grooming the whole community. Right. Um, same thing with Larry Nasser. You know, they're they're grooming the parents to get them to um, um, believe in and support. You know, their methods Agenda. for you know having access to the to the victims. Right. Um, and so, in the case of R. Kelly, the music was a big source of getting people sort of um, on his side right. because they love his music. Right. And so it's almost like a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it an addiction, but it's, uh, it's like, like an indoctrination yeah, or, or something yeah. like that. That's, you it's, know, like the honey that you're, you're uh, getting the people in. Exactly. Like, and it's, and it's magnetic. Right. Right. The documentary I was referring to is uh, Abducted in Plain Sight, which is, uh, it, it shows after all of the abuse happened and the uh, stu- and, and the uh, people who went through it, they explained how at the moment they were manipulated. At the time, 
Um, the decisions that they made, they were very, very poor decisions, but that's now in retrospect. We can put the blame though on the manipulator. The, the abuser was a master at manipulating the entire family and his community. Um, it, it, it's a very shocking thing to watch. So I, I would recommend to watch it. So would you say, me not having watched it yet, would you say from your experience that you watching the um, documentary that you hold any responsibility on the part of the other people in the community, like the parents? Were there other people that could have done something differently? Because we also talk about upstander tips in, in survivor stories. Even the parents themselves realize and recognize that what they should have done was not that. All the things, and that they, they realize that they have made a lot of mistakes. They do seem regretful at the end of the documentary. And they seem like that was a learning experience. I understand that that's a horrible way to learn what not to do. Did the documentary explore with them what they could have done differently? I believe that the documentary should could have done a better job at doing that because it, it seemed that, I don't know, I didn't think it put them in a good light. Like, I, I maybe if they were explained more on what what they they uh, on what decisions they made or how they came up with those decisions. I mean, the documentary is only about an hour long, and so it's not it, it, they didn't go that deep into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I hear that there's talk about making a part two of the same thing, uh, but just exploring different aspects of it and 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 for us to understand it a little better. If they do that, that'd be that'd be great. But she also wrote a book, uh, which is available. Oh, the victim. The victim. The child victim. Yeah, the child victim. Well, it's just an adult now. Right. Yeah. So I guess my question, Michael, is here's the dilemma. The parents could have made different choices they see now looking back. So really the documentary is helpful mainly to the people who are watching it as a sort of prophylactic, as a preventive measure to get people to see these are the common pitfalls that human beings are subject to and don't do it. Which is why I, I think it's it, it's something that maybe society will say, oh, we'll look at that and say, oh, I'll never fall for that. But a lot of people will say, oh, I would never fall for a, a, a pyramid scheme. But there's so many people who do. There's so many people who we would consider naive and, and they're just not informed. And And I think it's those people that we need to get the information out to. I, but the problem is this film, the way you've described it, I think it really self-selects people who, if you're someone who doesn't want to see, for example, horror films, or if you don't want to see stories that are sad, you're, not, you're never going to see this documentary. So then how do we get the information to those people? Through our education system, I, I believe if there's some way where we could promote not not just this video, but just everything that we talk about in this podcast, I, I think if we can somehow get our uh, children to learn that, about it in school, um, sex education, I think that's something that should be promoted promoted all over the country. This is something, a place I think it happened in Idaho or, or something, which... I, I don't know what the education system is like over there, but I, I, I believe that these things should be emphasized in the curriculum. I, I, that, 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 that would be the solution. That I, You shouldn't look at Netflix and, and be like, well, I'm going to get educated from Netflix and that shouldn't be your primary source of education. You should inform yourself as many different ways as possible. 
But um, yeah, that, that's the problem, though, because our education system is um, localized to the state. So every state gets to decide, you know, to whatever extent their citizens are aware and support it, uh, whether or not there's sex education, what the curricula includes, if there's consent versus abstinence. Right. Right. And Even? abstinence is very dangerous, I would say, to, 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 to teach. Because if you're saying, well, you're not going to do it, then how are you going to know what the dangers are? I mean, there's, there's so many things that, that you should know because realistically, it's, it's, it's part of our nature. It's, it's something that, that, that happens. And well, I think that's, that's something we need to consider. Um, from, for me, my, method of reaching out to people is of course through this podcast and all of the the larger community that's following us on social media. Um, I, I see all of the episodes themselves and all of the content that I very carefully curate mm-hmm. as a way to teach feminism and to really get people to build a cultural literacy around understanding power and oppression and privilege. Right. And having access to it in you know little pieces by looking at an Instagram post or by listening to an episode here and there gets you to exercise that muscle so that you're more and more used to being okay listening. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully getting access to resources Absolutely. that can address your response if you're triggered, for example. Mm-hmm. So if you have common experiences that are being described by the survivors or by the advocates in our um podcasts that you have then access to resources that we give you to know where to go to address it. Because if I think a lot, a lot of the survivors that we've talked to are in a place where they're, there's a level of consciousness of their abuse. They're beyond, you know, the initial sort of honeymoon period of their relationship, certainly, and, and um, the trauma bonding. Right. That's very common. And so they're they're able to articulate very well what they didn't see when they were in it. Which I think is a huge difference from the people who have not uh, considered themselves survivors. Um, there are people that will look at um, just certain terms like the word feminism and be very scared by it. Um, it it's, it's uh, I believe in the, the next... Um, Ashley yes. Bendixson? Yes. That's episode 36. Yeah, she's That's our the next, next episode. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the questions that you asked her was that in her podcast, she doesn't have the word feminism. And she had a legitimate response. I think she said that- On her website. On her website. Right. right. She had a legitimate response to your question. Um, she said that a lot of people are, uh, I guess, turned off by that word, by the word feminism, uh, because it has- uh, I would say a cultural context nowadays where that's scary. That's something that, oh, you're trying to force women to be a certain way, a cookie cutter way. And then that's, that's, that's not what I want. I don't, I don't want that kind of feminism. Like that they have this, this idea that's misinformed and it's just something that would help with uh, better education where feminism should not be a scary word. Yeah. And I think we, that, that's something that hopefully every, um, every episode that people listen to is one way of learning about feminism without it being directly uh, in an academic way. Right. So it's it's almost deconstructing like what it means to be feminist. Right. Yeah. So for for actually I don't I don't know if I told you I was recently on a radio show talking about 
how I apply feminist practices towards my business clients. Oh. Yeah. And so um, the, one of the first things I was asked is, what is feminism? Because apparently some of the radio guests' listeners had already reached out knowing what the topic was and expressing to varying degrees um, a little bit of you know, wonder and surprise and maybe dismay. <laughs> right, right. Which is why, what I think the general public is thinking. They're like, another another word besides feminism is social justice warriors. They use like SJW as a derogatory term nowadays, which is, is like, oh, look at that social SJW doing X, Y, Z. Look how radical they are. And it's, it, and it's just, it's one of those things that are put out there in the media that's, that, that, that is instilling fear because of ignorance. Yeah. And I think I share this in my Instagram account. When when you're used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Right. That's and right. and so I think that's what happens. And also there's we also discussed the uh, element of fear and the ways in which in our country fear is used to manipulate and control people, to keep them in their place. Right. There was a, and, and I'll, I'll send the link later, but um, there was a discussion where uh, there was a show called uh, Middle Ground that talks about, uh, that poses a question to a group of women. And uh, the question was, do you think boys and girls should be raised equally? And in general, the consensus is that all, ideally, they would all want everybody to be raised equally. But some people think that the way society is now, that men and women, or boys and girls, should be uh, raised differently. Which, ideally, I don't. I, I think if we all want the same thing, we should be treating uh, both boys and girls um, the same, or giving them the same education, because we want to make sure that they are. Um, all educated about as many topics as possible in order for them to be the best citizens possible. What did they mean when they say that, when they ask that question, if girls and boys should be raised equally, does that mean treated the same by the parents or given the same access to it was resources? Ve- like, it, was, like, it was open to interpretation. And I, I think that each individual person who responded, responded in, in the frame of the, how they wanted to frame it. I see. But in general everyone agrees that equality is a good thing. So why is feminism a dirty word? Well, you know, I, I mean, as I was saying earlier, but right. back to the, so the definition of feminism that I go back to is Bell Hooks's definition of feminism, which is a political identity uh, that um, supports ending sexual oppression, sexual violence, and sexual exploitation. And, you know, I would extend that further to say that feminism is also, my definition of feminism is is intersectional in the sense that any kind of oppression is linked. And so when we talk about ending sexual exploitation and violence... You're also uh, talking about uh, ending race. Exploitation, yeah. yeah, for anything. And so that, that to me, I think is very threatening to people who may be defined by um, behaviors that actually encourage violence and dominance and... Especially if they are in a position of privilege, right? Yeah, so like like if you're in law enforcement and you're, you're in the military and you're 
which is basically usually- taught to be learn how to use violence in your job right. if necessary. It becomes an oxymoron to say, well, then you shouldn't be violent in your home environment, right. or you shouldn't be violent or exercise domination and control in other settings at work. For example, you shouldn't engage in sexual harassment because you are taught as part of your job to actually use that force and that power differential to keep the public, quote unquote, safe, but also under control, right. under state control. Essentially, that's what it is. It's a form of it's a form of control. And uh, like these places that you mentioned, um, they're usually white male um, dominated. So the majority of uh, police officers, um, it, it, it's not a coincidence that they are mostly male. Yeah. So let's talk about the Ashley Bendixson uh, episode. You've referenced it with regard to my conversation with her about the feminism identity. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything else about that episode that spoke to you? Yes. Um, so one of the things that she mentioned was her relationship that she had with her parents and how how she didn't have that communication with that 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 positive communication with them and she felt like her father was constantly uh blaming her for her being in a relationship that he didn't agree with he under, he felt that the the boy that she was seeing in college was not good for her and instead of supporting her he would blame her for things like uh, let's say the boys that she hung out with uh egged the house and so then he would blame her for saying, well, because they know you, that's why they blame the house. So it's your fault. And it's what struck me the most about that is that he is a lawyer. He's he's involved in the criminal justice system. And for him not to understand the power dynamic that's going on here where where she should never, the victim should never be blamed it, and, and he's he's perpetuating that, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. Um for us to really make systemic change, it starts with us. Absolutely. And if the people in your lives, your family, your friends, your coworkers, if you share with them, can't come to an understanding of your experience that sees also the systemic structures that enabled it, right? then how are we going to make change? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's extremely difficult to do without recognizing it. Um but one of the like, going on that one of the things that she mentioned was that um, when she was younger, she she was basically brainwashed by her first boyfriend. Uh, so it's it's very difficult to see things when you're in certain states. So so uh, victims of of any kind of abuse have a difficult time even recognizing it in the first place. So for example, in the documentary that I mentioned earlier, the abuser told the victim that. If she said anything that the aliens were going to get you, and it was it it, it was it was a form of brainwashing, right? Um, so Ashley did the same thing. She mentioned that her her boyfriend um, at the time manipulated her into not saying anything and just letting the abuse continue. So, and what's also interesting, I thought, was how uh, different people deal with abuse in completely different ways. So. While she decided to go immediately find another relationship to feel secure, other people decide to throw themselves into books and and get and 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 escape that way. Um, other people use drugs as a coping mechanism to mm-hmm. escape. Yeah, yeah. 
yes, it's just such a variety in, in things. And so we shouldn't, we should try to have that open communication. And that's one of the things that uh, is best to do with a person who is in a situation, right? Just listen to them. That's one of the things that um, uh, Ashley mentioned and also a couple of other survivors in your stories uh, in, the st- in, in the previous episodes where they just, want somebody to hear them out. I think Ashley mentioned that it was a teacher that just said, hey, are you okay? And it's just simply that, are you okay? Even though Ashley just said, yeah, I'm fine. She wanted to hear that support that, are you okay? And not that victim blaming that she was getting from her family. So I think that's one of the things that we could look at and 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 hopefully incorporate that into our lives of the people that we know and listeners. If, if you know somebody that maybe all they want is somebody to listen, and that's what they would need at the moment, not somebody telling them what to do. Yeah, that's a great upstander tip. I also like the fact that you brought up, Michael, how people respond to abuse can show up differently, and the fact that some people can delve themselves into academics. And so there's a myth that if you're traumatized, uh, that you're going to automatically do poorly, perform poorly in school or perform poorly at work, when in fact, one of the ways to cope is actually to excel. And that's an area where people can have control and try to exert control. Right, right, to exert the control that they they lack at home, which is something that um, hopefully people will recognize. And, and, And I believe it all comes down to communication, where the more communication you have, the better it is for your situation. I also want to say that For me, what I think is really important is being able to hold people accountable Mm -hmm. in ways big and small. One of the things that showed up for me this week is um, watching Felicia Rashad on one of my favorite TV shows, This Is Us. Mm -hmm. She was the mother in the Cosby show, and she's well known for being one of a few people from that show who was supportive of Bill Cosby. Um, during the time that he was um, in court for his sexual assault allegations. And so for me, um, I wrote a response to accountability where I talked about a whole spectrum of basically a spectrum of abuse that also the flip side is a spectrum of accountability. Right. Because you don't have to be actively engaging in abuse to be an enabler or an apologist Right. And you are contributing to our culture of abuse if you're doing that. Right. I believe you have a, a lot of people that say things like, well, you you are accusing so-and-so with zero evidence and you have no evidence. So like, how could you, uh, how could you accuse them? Like somehow it's the victim's fault for bringing it, even bringing it up. And it wasn't just one person that accused Bill Cosby of of, of being sexually assaulted by him. Yeah, there were right? dozens. There were dozens, and and it's. I'm not going to talk about that Me Too movement again, but again, it, it, during that time, at least, I think there there was that culture that where it, it became okay for um, women to speak up, and even if a woman would be afraid to speak up because they were thinking, well, you know what, if I, if I speak up about my abuse, I'll acknowledge that it actually happened, you know? And if a woman were to say that, at least that's a step in the right direction. Like, Hey, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to say what, what, what's going on with me because I'm not ready for it yet. And that's perfectly fine. But it just, just to acknowledge that 
would be a step in the right direction. And I feel that um, that kind of behavior should be encouraged in every single way. We were talking about what people can do. So is there anything that you can think of um, where we can do more as a society? Well, um, besides just build, you know, building individual relationships and getting shifts in individual relationships. Right. Well, we can use individual uh, relationships to um, to hopefully change that. Um, I saw an article not too long ago on the New York Times, and I'll, I'll send that link to you so you can post it up, that talked about a study that was done watching over six, uh, maybe about 62 um, baboons in the wild. So they, they were called the forest troop. Basically, this group was studied just like many other uh, groups of um, baboons, they are very violent. And the reason that they're violent is because the m- most of the time they just need to uh, take as many resources as possible, right, in order to survive, in order for the whole troop to survive. Now, so so you're saying it's natural selection, basically. Yes, through evolution. Through, through evolution, it looks like that. It, typically, all all of these primates behave in a similar fashion, right? Now we're talking about primates, not talking about humans yet, but they'll see there's a correlation because this group was being followed. There was a a huge garbage dump that tourists at the time would just throw their food there, and uh, the most aggressive of this of this group, which were the leaders of it. Uh, all decided to go there and get get take all the food and and eat it, and they didn't leave anything for not any of the females or the uh, weaker uh, members of the society, and they all engorged themselves in it. It turns out that that was infected with tuberculosis, the 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 food uh, supply pile, and all of the monkeys who ate from that died, which means all of the most aggressive monkeys. Um, that would use bullying tactics on every other monkey in order to survive and and and, and be the top, uh, at the top of the hierarchy. Uh, just died off. Um, what was interesting was that immediately afterward, um, both the females and the monkeys who didn't have that those uh, traits of being aggressive, their that society in general changed. There was no more of the bullying. There was no more of this. Uh, stronger monkeys abusing and biting the female monkeys. And you'll see more details uh, about it. And what's even more interesting is that that behavior followed for, uh, continued for at least over two decades. So over 20 years, um, not only did these uh, baboons continue to express less aggressive behavior, but also they, uh, as new members came into this group of baboons, uh, they immigrated into this group. They, the new uh, members, learned the behaviors of the group. So this, this, it, and it wasn't monkeys can learn. Like if a monkey opens has a specific way of opening a nut, uh, that's just one one thing that could be taught to another monkey. But this is a whole group of different behaviors. No longer was there a hierarchy where the stronger male would bully the the female or the weaker uh, members of the group, but well, it's it's more of a equal kind of society. So you're saying that basically, when disease killed off the most aggressive and violent members of that primate population, 
I wasn't clear if it was baboons or monkeys. It's, it's baboons. Okay, baboons, because you were referring them to monkeys too. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's okay. But um, maybe there's not that much of a difference in the behavior. But um, so when when these higher level aggressive members were killed off by the tuberculosis, they um, the patriarchal system, in other words, was replaced with a more um, feminist system of right. values where there was sharing of power and um, not not use of aggression, the lack of aggression, other forms of conflict resolution. Right. Now, while, t- t- to be fair, they are still, were, they're monkeys. I'm sorry, they're, they're baboons, right? They're still wild animals and they're still fighting. They, they, it, fighting did continue. The article was clear about that. But the hierarchy, the abuse of, the, the 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 imbalance of power that's what changed okay where where there was no like i'm a higher uh a uh, higher position in this hierarchy than you are so i'm going to do whatever it is that i want i'm going to abuse you i'm going to hurt you um so for example one of the things that i mentioned was uh just to to put numbers on this it was a, a lot less bites that the females would get so there were before there would be so many a lot of um bites of the stronger, more aggressive monkeys on the females, and that reduced. Now, the, this is something that's continuously studied, and hopefully this is something that that will remain. But it, so far, it hasn't. And it's been over 20 years that these the, this troop was, was being followed. And that's, it, it seems, I, I'm, I can't say the future for, for what's going to happen to this troop and, and if they'll go back, but this looks promising. Yeah, it but, does. But... There's no, you can't equivocate. You can't say, well, let's just get rid of the most aggressive men in society. And we'll, perfect well I mean, we can, we can try to change people's behaviors and responses. We can teach them to do and respond differently. Right. And that's where the education piece comes in. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I'm excited to read that article, Michael. Great. And actually, that's a New York Times article. The actual study is linked in the article. So uh, you can follow that. If okay, you want great. To more details. As we conclude our conversation today, I want to just do a call out to our listeners and request that if you don't follow us in social media already, please do. We have a rich array of conversations that are taking place on Instagram, on Facebook, on the uh, Twitter account that we have. And I also have posts that I write once in a while to things that I've observed and want to respond to. Um, So there's a Medium account you can follow uh, and all those articles are also posted on the website. And we really would appreciate it if you can subscribe so that you will be sure to not miss any episodes. And if you can share and even better, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or the platform of your choice, we would really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Engendered. The show is sponsored by CanDoIt Q&A, a peer-based knowledge platform that connects social service providers in advice, community, and learning. You can join CanDoIt Q&A for free at qna.kanduit.com. I'd love to get your feedback and hear any questions or suggestions you may have for the show. Please email us at engenderedpodcast at gmail.com with your questions. Music